first-time guests with us, or if you're new to the church, that, uh, that information will help us to get in touch with you this week. We also want to encourage you to go to the Connection Central booth in the foyer after the service and pick up a gift and uh, some information about the church. A few announcements. First of all, I have a set of car keys that were left in the women's bathroom this morning. I didn't find them. Don't worry. Uh, but but uh, this, is, this is where they are at. Uh, Boeing 1999 Toyota car. Uh, so so uh, if anyone wants to claim it now, otherwise see me after the service. Oh, you got it? All right. Very good. We got that taken care of. All right. Okay. <laughs> a couple announcements. I'm not going to go through all the announcements on the program, uh, but there are a couple of announcements that aren't on the program that I should uh, make us aware of. First of all, there's a deacons meeting after the service this morning at 1230 in the conference room. Uh, secondly, uh, on November 5th, which is a Sunday, after church, after church on November 5th, there's a baby shower for now in Kenichi, and uh, that's going to be 1215 to 145 in room 10, which is the um, uh, room right across the way here, and uh, so gift registry, Target, Amazon, Babies R Us, so November 5th, baby shower for now in Kenichi, and then lastly, one more announcement to make note of here. Uh, the growth groups that have been going through Not a Fan, and today is the last sermon in our Not a Fan series, the growth groups uh, are going to have a special gathering on Friday, October 27th, so that's a week from this upcoming Friday, uh, at 7 o'clock here in the church in the social hall, and we'll have some uh, dessert, and it's a time of sharing. The purpose of it is so many groups have gone through these in their own small groups, and so here's an opportunity for us all to come together and to uh, share about what God has been doing in our lives or maybe ways He has challenged us as you have been going through that. So keep that in mind, the special gathering, Friday, October uh, 27th, 7 o'clock here at the church. Lastly, thank you to all the volunteers for the 5K run yesterday. Yesterday was, uh, it was a huge success. And uh, I know a lot of work goes into this. A lot of you have volunteers stuffing goodie bags to manning the course to setting up cones to helping with registration, making food for the runners. There's the kitty run. Got to let the neighbors know beforehand that the, that, uh, that the race is coming up. And so there are all kinds of ways that people have been involved. And I think it's a great testimony to our community. It's a Great way for us to serve the Senior Center, and so uh, thank you to everyone that uh, helped that out, helped out with it, and it really turned out to be a great day. I've run a couple long races, and so I know how much like you appreciate, uh, like for example, somebody at the side of the road handing out a cup of water. If it's a long race and you're, you're starting to wear out, just getting that drink of water can give you the energy to, uh, to finish the race. In fact, I had a dream a couple of weeks ago. This is true. I don't really share my dreams too often. But here's a, I had a dream of a long, I was, uh, I was at a long race. I wasn't running in the race, but for some reason I was here and I was observing it. And usually, like I said, the people along the side of the road are handing out cups of water. 
But in my dream, it was actually the runners who were not only running in the race, but they were the ones giving the water to those along the side of the race. And uh, they, those that were there, they just were taking it, and they were like, whatever, and drinking their water. And so when I woke up, I remembered it very vividly. Some dreams I remember, some I don't. But those that I do, I think maybe there's some, like, some sort of subconscious meaning, or maybe God's trying to say something. So I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking, in the world today, Jesus is the one who has run the race, so to speak, right? He's the one that's done all the work. He's gone to the cross. He's the one that's working in our hearts and in this world to accomplish water. And he's also the one that, along the side of the road, is the ones that are giving the cups of water. And sometimes we take the water and we don't even know we need it. But really deep down inside, we are thirsty. And so this morning, here's the spiritual truth that I want to draw. Like I said, I don't want to read too much into a dream, but I do believe that this is a truth. Whether we realize it or not, everyone has a spiritual hunger and thirst in them that is as real as our physical appetites. You see, every morning we wake up and we've got physical urges. If you're like me, you're not quite yourself until you got your cup of coffee or you eat breakfast. Lunch, the, about lunchtime, the hunger pains start. Uh, we have these, we have a physical appetite. And I believe it's given by, it's good for us. It helps us to know we need to have uh, food to eat to live. And in a similar way, I think God has given us spiritual hungers, a hunger and thirst. Now that might be a little bit more camouflaged than the physical urge that we get. But deep down inside of us, all of us have those longings. In fact, I think that is the reason we wake up in the morning and we go to work or we take care of our families because there is this desire innate within us to want to have meaning and purpose in life. In fact, I think it is what, why we pursue all kinds of things from material goods to uh, comfort to, uh, to, to having um, recognition all of these things are seeking to satisfy something that our, soul, that our soul is longing for. And as much as we look at that, as much as we seek after those things, too often we are not very good at being able to satisfy that hunger or to quench that thirst. Because it seems that the more we get, the more we desire, and we're never quite satisfied. And so if God has given us these longings, surely he has the right kind of soul food, so to speak. What will satisfy? It is interesting that in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, the, uh, the Gospel writer actually talks about having a physical hunger and a spiritual hunger. It's a fairly long chapter, but uh, he, uh, the Gospel writer is, seems he's going out of his way to kind of draw a parallel here. And so we're going to look at this chapter this morning, but let me just read one verse right now to get us started. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In this sermon this morning, the last of our sermon series on not a fan, we're going to wrestle with this idea of motivation. Why do we want to follow Jesus? We've been wrestling with this question all the way through the series. Are you a follower or are you a fan of Jesus? And if it is our desire to follow Jesus, the question before us today is why? 
What is the purpose? In this passage, we see that Jesus, in a sense, is saying, hey, I know why you're following me. It's not because of who I am. It's because I gave you food to eat. And we receive all kinds of things from Jesus as well. We receive the hope of heaven. We receive guidance from him in our lives. He helps us in our marriage and in our job. He answers our prayer. We even have peace within our hearts. And so why do we follow Jesus? And all of these things, and I'm sure we could make a much longer list, all of these things are surely good reasons, but I actually think that there is only one great reason to follow Jesus. One reason that is actually going to satisfy that soul's hunger and thirst. And so this morning we're going to uh, look at this idea of the motivation. Why would we want to follow Jesus? Let's go before the Lord and just commit our, ser our sermon to God. God, I, prepare, I pray that as we prepare to uh, look at your word, that you would come and you would speak to us and you would impress upon our hearts what is from you and help us just to take these things, if they are from you, help us to take them into our hearts and our lives and that they might feed our souls and that we might have life through your name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I told you we we're going to look at John chapter 6 today, right? Well, John chapter 6 starts with the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, this was a story that I have heard since I was a little kid. In fact, I can't read this story with a Sunday school version, a flannel graph version running through my mind. So this morning you're going to get the feeding of the 5,000 flannel graph version. All right, this is, this is how I envision this passage as I... I was able to track down a flannel graph. Some of you have no idea what this is. When I was a kid, this was technology at its best. I mean, this, uh, who needs a projector? Who needs the DVDs or any of this stuff? I mean, we got flannel graphs. So here is Jesus. And Jesus is teaching. And, we have, and he's teaching a large crowd. In fact, there are thousands of people here. And so we got to put up these, we'll just pretend each of these groups, each of these represents about 1,500 people, all right? So uh, we got people that are listening to, to Jesus' teaching. This is my first time using flannel graphs, so some of you are much better at this than I am. But uh, Jesus is, and it must be a very long-winded sermon, because by the time he's done, he's preached right through lunch. And his disciples come, and they talk to him, and they share with Jesus. They say, Jesus, what are you going to do? These people need uh, food to eat. Uh, you've preached for so long, and it's too late in the day. And then Andrew, let's say this one is Andrew. Andrew speaks up, and he says, and I don't know why he says this, because uh, it must be in his mind that Jesus knows how to do miracles, because what good is this information otherwise? There's a little boy there. And the little boy has brought his lunch. And the little boy has two fish and five loaves of bread. Well, I could only find three loaves of bread, but we'll pretend, all right? <laughs> so this, this little boy has some bread, and he has some fish. And the story, it, uh, as the story goes, Jesus prays for the food, and the food is multiplied. In fact, it is multiplied so much that everybody has their fill, and afterwards, all the disciples pick up 12 baskets full. 
and uh, one for each disciple. I mean, the, the imagery is, uh, this is a, we're telling this as a children's story, but I mean, the imagery is so powerful here. The idea of all of what is being communicated here. The idea that I think it really does point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, in fact, it points to the fact that Jesus is God in human flesh. And so we tell this as a children's story, but even us, as we look at this as adults, I mean, there is so much meaning here. There is so much value. And so this, this is how the story goes. And then as we continue to read, the crowds are amazed by this. And they long to follow Jesus. In fact, let's pick up in the story, John chapter 6, verse 24. And this is the portion that I never got to in Sunday school version. So this is really where I want to focus today. Once the crowds realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. In other words, these were fo- these guys, obviously they want to follow Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Rabbi is a Jewish term. It means teacher. It's like a beloved teacher. Beloved teacher, when did you get here? We wanted to follow you. Why did you leave us? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're looking at uh, for me not because these signs pointed to who I am. You're not actually looking for me because I'm the Son of God or I am God Himself. You're looking for me because uh, I offered you a meal to eat. In other words, I'm not your master. I'm your meal ticket. We like the story of the feeding of the 5,000 because everybody gets what they want. But now Jesus, He takes a different approach and He does not give them food to eat. Jesus doesn't uh, give them food to eat because he knows what is in their hearts. In fact, he knows what is in everyone's heart. John chapter 2 says, Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need a testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. And he looks at them, and he, and he has kind of what we've been talking about in the Not a Fan series. He has a DTR, a Define the Relationship. This is the relationship that you have with me. It is not because you love me for who I am. It is because you love me for what I can provide. And in a sense, he is challenging us today, I think, to have a DTR as well, to define the relationship. Are we seeking after God because of who he is or what he can provide? It was a very appropriate question to those in the first century. It is probably an even a more appropriate question for us who live in a very affluent materialistic culture that is driven by success and image. Are we following Jesus because of what he can give us? Because oftentimes we can make Christianity into a very consumeristic type religion. Or is it because of who he is? In a sense, I think he is asking, am I enough? Am I enough for you? I'd like to ask this question, I'd like to wrestle with this question with kind of four points here. The first is to examine your motives for following Jesus. As I've already said, we receive a lot when we become Christians. We receive the hope of eternal life and answered prayers. We receive guidance in his scriptures and inner peace. And all of these are great, but what if they were taken away? Would Jesus be enough even then? 
I have sat with people in very difficult situations. Just as by the nature of being a pastor, you're sometimes with people at the highest points and at the lowest points. And sometimes I have been with people and I am amazed at their attitude. That they can be going through the most difficult thing and their trust in Jesus never wavers. And you can tell that deep down in the side of them, it's just almost as if they are saying, if all of these other things are taken away, Jesus is enough for me. And then I have been with, other, with others that are kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, and they say, this is not what I signed up for. If Jesus isn't going to answer my prayers and provide for all my needs, then I'm done with this. I'm out of here. And so I know it is hard to imagine, but my hope is that as we wrestle with that question, we can at least say in our hearts, Jesus is enough for me. The Old Testament character of Job is kind of this, an illustration of this sermon uh, to the full. I mean, Job had, it, had everything. He was this man that had as much worldly wealth as you could imagine. He had a perfect family. He had all kinds of friends around him. And we're given this picture of this, of this conversation that takes place in heaven during Job's lifetime. It's, uh, Satan and God are conversing, and I don't know how often this happens like this in heaven, but this is how the story goes. Job chapter 1, verse 7, Then the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the whole earth, going back and forth on it. Then, Satan, then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? You can almost kind of sense the internal pride here. Have you seen Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. Now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So in other words, Job is, or Satan is saying the only reason Job loves you is because you've given him everything he wants. He's got all, the, all of these possessions. He's got every, if you take it away, surely he will shake his fist and curse you so fast. And so the Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but the man himself do not lay a finger on. In other words, don't kill Job, but but you can destroy everything else. And so Satan systematically goes about taking one thing after another, and his family is destroyed, all his herds and his flocks and his wealth is taken away, Uh, his wealth is gone, his servants are gone, his home and security are taken away. And at the end of the first chapter of the book of Job, it says... Job comes to the conclusion, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. In other words, I got nothing left. Not even the shirt on my back. I'm as broke as the day I was born. And then he goes on to say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I mean, isn't that what all of our hearts would love to be able to say? To have that kind of confidence? What if it were all taken away? What if our health and our wealth, our relationships, job, our successes, our reputation, is God still enough? Life is difficult for everyone. People get sick and die. Cars crash. 
Children contract uh, diseases and never recover. Friends betray each other. Couples fight and get divorced. And life is hard. And sometimes it is because you sin. And sometimes you cannot find any explanation for it. Either way, it is a challenge to our faith to ask the question, is God enough? If we lost it all, would we still show up to worship God on Sunday? If it were all taken away, would we curse God or would we be able to say, as Job did, to praise God and to say, God is enough? And the reason I put this all before us is because this is the place where I actually think our souls are truly able to find the satisfaction that they are longing for, where the soul's hunger is uh, satisfied and the soul's thirst is quenched. And it is easier said than done, I'm sure. But this is my prayer for myself, and this is my challenge for all of us to pray. In my office at home, I have what I call my prayer chair. It's, uh, I sit, this is where I sit, and I have my time with the Lord. And beside my prayer chair, I have a quote. And, uh, and the quote is from Julian of Norwich, and it says, God, of your goodness, give me yourself. You are enough for me, and anything that I could ask for would not do you full honor. And if I ask for anything that is less, I shall always lack something, but in you alone I have everything. And so sometimes I sit in my chair and I pray for my family, I pray for our church, and I pray for decisions I've got to make and all of these things. And then sometimes I just sit, at the, uh, sit and look at this quote and I pray, God, of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are al- enough for me. And anything that I could ask, all these things that I could ask for would not do you full honor. And if I ask for anything that is less, I shall always lack something. But in you alone I have everything. Jesus said here in this passage in John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And obviously he's talking about a, a spiritual hunger and thirst here. He says, if you take me in, then your deepest soul cravings will be satisfied. And he goes along the same lines in verse 53. He says, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. These are hard words. Like These are probably not the words you're going to share when you're witnessing to your friend. All right, These are... Kind of hard words to understand, but do you understand? He says, you got to eat me. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. But for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father has sent me. And I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And in other words, he's saying, eat me, drink me, take me into your life. This is the second step I want to highlight this morning, and that is to eat Christ, to take him into our lives. And so when we think about this, it is the idea of spending time with Jesus in prayer and in his word, to fill our conversations with talk of of spiritual things. We're eating Christ. Not every conversation has to be about the Dodgers, though those are good conversations and they're especially fun right now. 
But once in a while, we might talk with our friends and we might say, how are you doing spiritually? Can I pray for you? I've been reading in God's Word, and this is what the Lord has been speaking upon me. When we were going through the interview process with uh, Pastor Steve, one of the things that uh, stood out to me a few months ago uh, in the midst of this process was uh, he said that he and his wife Esther have devotions together at night. And I just was thinking about that. I was like, Chelsea and I haven't had devotions together in a long time. And so I couldn't shake this. I'd, and, and, she, and Chelsea and I decided, and this, was, uh, this is fairly recent, like a month ago, we decided three times a week, we're going to try to sit down after the kids are in bed, before we turn the TV on or get a book out or stare at our phones. We're going to just have a time where we can either read God's Word or talk about what's going on in our lives and pray for one another. And so we've been consistent for the last few weeks of, of doing this a, a, a few nights a week. And I'll be honest, I, I, didn't think, I don't think I realized how much I needed this. It's, done, it's been a huge benefit for me. It's, uh, spiritually, I feel like it's, it's, it's had um, a big effect on, on my walk with the Lord. And I think this is the idea of eating Christ. Whether we realize it or not, we have this spiritual hunger and thirst. And it is only by taking Christ into our lives that, that we are satisfied. So all of this is a huge challenge, is it not? This is, uh, we're talking about having our lives de- dedicated to the Lord. And in Jesus' day, many people found this kind of dedication because they understood what Jesus was talking about. They, under- they found it too hard and they turned away. John 6, 66 says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's hard to do. I mean, we're talking, of, this is meant to be challenging to receive Christ into our lives. But if we, see, but if we begin to see things differently, that is where there is ultimately hope and satisfaction for us. And so the third step is to get a new vision for eternal life. See, sometimes we think of eternal life as just getting to heaven. Getting to heaven is not eternal life. Eternal life is God with us. Now, when we get to heaven, believe me, that is God with us. But eternal life starts in the here and the now. It is this idea of having a relationship with Jesus. Jesus gives us this definition of eternal life in John 17, 3. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so it is all about having God in our lives, in every area of our life, to live with Him, to walk with Him, to converse with Him in our minds, even while we're going about our everyday lives, and to live in an abiding sense of His love for us and our love for Him. That ultimately is what eternal life is all about. And Jesus knew that there were many turning away, and then he turns to his own disciples, and he says, almost out of compassion to give them a way out, he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have, uh, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus said, where, or Peter says, where else are we going to go? You offer us the, 
uh, words of eternal life. And then notice where his focus is. We're not looking for something else. We're looking for you yourself. You are the one that we believe in, that you are the Holy One of God. And Peter is saying there's nowhere else to go because you alone can satisfy. Remember your first date? I remember my first date with Chelsea. This was like an all-day affair. I, I woke up and washed the car, got my hair cut, ironed my clothes. Uh, I even actually thought of conversation questions, jotted them down on a note card and kept them in my pocket. And, uh, and then I took her out to a nice restaurant. And all of this sounds kind of ridiculous, but all I can say is I'm married to the woman, so it worked out. Uh, but, but I remember my first date, and you can imagine, what if you were to take a girl out on on a date, and you take her to a nice restaurant, and you say, hey, get anything on the menu. I'm going to treat you. And it goes well, and so you ask her out again, and then you go to a concert, and you buy her ticket. You take her out to dessert, and a third day, and you dinner and a movie, and through it all, you've paid for everything, and then you think, you know what? Tonight, we're not going to do a high-priced dinner. I'm just going to go for a walk in the park. And so you go for a walk, and there's the park bench. Oh, this is perfect. So you sit down and you begin to pour your heart out. Oh man, I love spending time with you. You really make me happy. I want to spend all, I want to spend every day with you. I just can't stop thinking about you. You You put it all out on the line and the girl turns to you and says, is this a date? When are we going to go do the fun stuff? I thought you were going to take me out and have a good time. And pretty soon you realize the girl isn't there for you. The girl's there for what you can provide. And I wonder if Jesus ever looks at us and he thinks, are you here for me? Do we have a real relationship or is it just for what you can provide? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm reading this biography of, about uh, uh, the life of Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was a a songwriter from about 25, uh, well, he died about 25 years ago. Unfortunately, he died kind of a tragic death as a fairly young person. He died at 42 years old in a car accident. But uh, Rich Mullins uh, wrote some songs that if you don't know who he is, some of you that have been in the church a while may have heard like, Our God is an Awesome God or Step by Step. And he wrote some uh, real popular songs during uh, his lifetime. But as I'm reading this book, I've just been impressed. So many people, especially after his death, came up and said, Rich was a unique guy. I mean, not only was he a Christian, I mean, he stood out as a person that was really living his life for Christ. And so I was, I was watching one of his concerts. Somebody reminded me of him recently, and And I remember singing his song, so I'm reading this biography, and I'm watching these uh, uh, concerts, and one of his songs, Step by Step, I thought would be such a perfect song to sing as we close our sermon series. He says, "I, I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways, and step by step you'll lead me, and I will follow you all the days of my life. Rich did not have an easy life. He had a broken engagement. He really struggled with his dad's death. He didn't have a good relationship with his dad. His music career wasn't always successful. At one point in the biography, it says that he is described as coming to the conclusion that his ministry was a failure. 
And he said, life is hard and it doesn't get any easier when you become a Christian. But he always had this desire to seek God. And I believe that is because he found his satisfaction in Christ. In fact, I want to show you a part of a concert here, a part of a video in a, in a moment. And uh, like, I, keep in mind, this is 30 years ago. If any decade had a bad, had a bad uh, decade for clothing, it was the 80s. All right, so just put that out of your mind and, uh, and focus on the words that he says because I think even though this is a video from a long time ago, his words are so uh, helpful and beneficial. At one point he says here, and I just want to highlight one thing, I hope that in the course of your life you'll encounter him, you'll encounter God. And let me warn you, you'll need to hang on for dear life or let go for dear life maybe is better. It's almost like he catches himself in mid-sentence. And that's my fourth, this leads me to the fourth point here on seeking for God to be enough. And that is the idea of letting go for dear life. Surrender everything to Jesus. There is nowhere else to go. As Peter said in this passage, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the eternal life, the words of eternal life. And so we live our lives in a position of open-handedness, saying, everything I have is yours, Jesus. My family, my reputation, my job, and you make your own list. It's all yours. We live in a, in a position of open-handedness, and we surrender it to Jesus and say, I'm going to live for you alone, for you alone are enough. Wherever you go, wherever you lead me, I will follow. Let's watch this video, and then we'll sing the song together. Well, this is uh, yet another prayer song, and sometimes I, I find it hard to pray, and maybe that's why I've written so many prayer songs, is because it's easier if you sing sometimes, and uh, God may find it more entertaining than if you just say it, too. Who knows? Except that I'm just not really all that sure that God is all that concerned about being entertained. I'm not sure except what that's just a, a human thing. Sometimes, you know, you try to pray, you try to impress God with all the right words. and I just don't think it's an easy thing to impress God Almighty, if you know what I mean is. Here's the thing that I think we often forget is that we don't have to impress him because he's already knocked out about you. He already loves you more than you can imagine. I remember reading a thing that Picasso once said. I, I like to read what famous artists have to say because I can barely, I'm barely able to look at their paintings without... <laughs> going into a coma trying to figure out what it's about <laughs> but he said this one thing that I really did like he said uh, that uh, good taste was the enemy of great art which I think is very very true good taste has all to do with being cultured and being refined and if art has to do with anything it has to be, do with being human and one of the reasons I love the Bible is because the, the humans in the Bible are not very refined they're uh, pretty goofy if you want to know the whole truth about it 
I remember when I was a kid and people would always say, uh, you know, because I was one of those typical depressed adolescent types. I wrote poetry and stuff. It's how morose I was as a kid. And people would go around saying, oh, cheer up, man, because God loves you. And I'd always say, big deal. God loves everybody. That don't make me special. That just proves that God ain't got no taste. And I don't think he does. Thank God. Because God takes the junk of our lives. And he makes the greatest art in the world out of it. And if he was cultured, if he was as civilized as most Christian people wish he was, he would be useless to Christianity. God is a wild man. And uh, I hope that uh, in the course of your life you encounter him. But let me warn you, you need to hang on for dear life or let go for dear life. Maybe it's better. And uh, this is a prayer for you and you're welcome to sing it. Step by step, you lead me. Now. 